This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. How to boost artificial intelligence whilst protecting citizens' rights? That's the question the European Commission is hoping to answer as it unveiled the world's first plans to regulate how the technology is used on Wednesday. The proposed rules aim to curb high-risk uses of AI, like biometric identification, which includes facial recognition, or an outright ban on things like government-conducted social scoring, which China already uses to measure an individual's trustworthiness. Last week, the European Commission launched what promises to be a global multi-year debate on the regulation of artificial intelligence. Several years in development, the proposed rules would ban some uses of AI, regulate others, and establish significant penalties for those that fail to abide by the rules. European leaders believe the initiative will place them at the forefront of AI, borrowing from the data protection privacy strategy of seeking to export EU solutions to the rest of the world. Celine Castellanard is a colleague at the University of Ottawa, where she holds the University Research Chair on Accountable Artificial Intelligence in a Global World. She joins me on the podcast to discuss the EU plans, their implications for Canadian AI policy, and the road ahead for the regulation of artificial intelligence. Celine, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's my pleasure. Okay, I'm really glad that you, you take time out to, to come and join me this week. Uh, on a week when the European Commission released what it has termed the first ever legal framework on artificial intelligence, AI, and it believes that it positions Europe to play a leading role globally. For those that are, are hearing about this for the first time, can you give us a bit of background? You know, where did it come from? How long has it been in the works, and you know what kind of consultation process was involved as they developed these rules. Indeed, the European Commission published two, year, two days ago uh, new rules and actions included in three different texts. The first one is the proposal for regulation on AI. I will tell you more later. The second is a new coordinated plan with member member states. This plan will outline the necessary policy changes and investments at member states level towards a European leading position. Actually, in a global policy context where more and more countries such as Canada are investing heavily in AI, the EU urges member states to act together to exploit the opportunities and to join their investments. For instance, one of the goals is to build a strategic leadership in high-impact sectors such as climate and environment, health, or robotics. And finally, the third text uh, is a new regulation which will replace a 2006 directive on machinery products. This regulation will cover an extensive range of uh, consumer and professional uh, products, including robots, 3D printers, construction machines, industrial production lines. This new machinery regulation will ensure that the new generation of machinery guarantees the safety of users and consumers and uh, encourages innovation. While the AI regulation will address the safety risk of AI systems, the new machine regulation will ensure the safe integration 
of the AI system into uh, the overall machinery. Uh, of course, the most interesting part of this legal framework is the AI regulation. Where did this come from? Uh, the first step uh, was the publication of the European AI strategy in 2018 under the former European Commission chaired by Juncker. The AI level expert group on AI also developed guidelines for trustworthy AI in 2019 and also an assessment list for trustworthy AI in 2020. These guidelines were ethical principles, but the expert group was already calling for the development of a legal framework. Uh, then, under the new presidency of uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission continued its works by publishing a white paper in February 2020, in which it set out its vision for AI in Europe, uh, so-called uh, an ecosystem of excellence and trust, announcing their rules published uh, two days ago. So finally, three years have therefore passed between the publication of the strategy and the proposed regulation. Okay, so a pretty long process. And uh, I mean, it's, it's it's even more complicated as you point out the, the various elements that they're focusing on, including machinery than, than I think some of the, the initial press reports have, have, have led many to believe. The, the emphasis has certainly been on the AI side. I know that there was a leak at least a slightly earlier version, just a few days before. So groups in some ways had an opportunity to prepare for this or at least prepare their initial reaction. It's only been a couple of days, but what was the initial reaction, say from you know civil society groups, perhaps on the one side who have been advocating for a long time on, on some of these AI issues, as well as of course, uh, the tech companies who will be directly affected by some of these rules? Oh, yes. Uh, as it is often the case uh, with uh, social impact uh, technologies, there is a strong divide between representatives of civil society and the companies that wish to develop them. Um, technology companies complain about not being able to innovate. So it's a very uh, usual argument. Uh, however, uh, measures in favor of uh, innovation uh, have been taken that concerns small companies and uh, startups. Uh, also, uh, AI regulatory sandboxes will allow the development of uh, innovative uh, AI systems. On the other hand, uh, we can also see that uh, the civil, civil society and uh, the advocacy groups consider that the protection of uh, fundamental rights does not go far enough. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we can note, for instance, uh, that the material scope of uh, application is broad and uh, includes machine learning uh, as well as expert systems or statistical uh, approaches, which will uh, easily allow to include all automatic decision uh, systems, uh, in particular those uh, used by the governments. Um, so uh, I think this point is very important because no proof uh, in relation with the kind of system used would be uh, prob probably uh, necessary. And uh, as usual, uh, we, we had a lot of public consultation uh, and uh, especially a public consultation on the AI uh, white paper uh, was initiated between February and June, uh, most 1,000 and, uh, and 250 contributions uh, are made uh, 
uh, online, uh, thanks to an online survey. And uh, most uh, contribution came from the EU member st states, but uh, also outside of the EU. And uh, also uh, 450 position papers were submitted during the consultation. And uh, of course, uh, the, the, the lobbying groups uh, working, are still working hardly uh, right now to influence the uh, uh, European Parliament members. So um, uh, I, 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 can't, I think we cannot say that uh, there is no consultation on this paper. So there was a fair amount of consultation, and uh, unsurprisingly, of course, the as you suggest, you've got a, there's a bit of a divide uh, between some of the civil society groups and, and technology companies, with many of the things centering around innovation and the like. Now, I know that the rules prohibit several AI uses, um, and that's that's been, I think, one of the major focal points for civil society. Can you describe what the areas where there's simply prohibitions are? Uh, yes, sure. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, some uh, rules are, some uh, AI system or some use uh, of AI systems are prohibited uh, because the, the AI regulation uh, follow a risk-based uh, approach. And uh, the European Commission considers that some uh, risks are uh, unacceptable. And uh, that's, uh, that is the reason why some uh, practices and some uses are prohibited. And um, uh, especially uh, if the, the use uh, um, are, uh, could, could uh, generate a, a threat to people's safety, livelihoods, or their rights. And uh, more specifically, these are systems or applications that manipulate uh, human behavior to circumvent, circumvent the free will of users. Uh, for example, the use of uh, voice assistance to encourage dangerous behavior by children. Uh, this is also the case for the use of an AI system that exploits the vulnerabilities of, of specific groups of people because of their age or physical or mental disability in order to ma manipulate their behavior uh, this kind of uh, user is also prohibited, and uh, are also targeted the systems, the systems that uh, enable social scoring by governments, only by governments. And uh, finally, uh, the use of uh, real-time remote biometric identification systems in publicly accessible space spaces for the purpose of law enforcement uh, is prohibited. Uh, but there are some exceptions, and I'm going to talk about uh, it later. Okay, so so it covers health, safety. I mean, it's very interesting to see uh, see rules specifically focused on the kind of manipulation concerns that that I think many people have raised when they think about AI. Uh, you did mention the biometric uh, mass surveillance in public spaces. And I know that was one that some groups were looking for simply an outright ban. You suggested that there are some exceptions. Can you describe what those are? Uh, yes. Uh, many groups would like, to, would like a ban uh, on it. And uh, but, but firstly, I would like to, to point out that the text does not mention the facial recognition technology, what may be surprising. Uh, it is, uh, however, covered by the expression uh, remote biometric uh, identification systems, uh, which means uh, an AI system for the purpose of uh, identifying natural persons at a distance through the comparison of a person biometrics data 
with a biometric data contained in a reference database and without prior knowledge of the user of the AI system, whether the person will be present and can be identified. This is uh, the definition uh, of the, the AI regulation, and this is exactly how a facial recognition system works. So um, the, the word is not uh, used, and I think it's, uh, uh, it's uh, symbolic. And uh, regarding the regime, it is true that the debate of the use of uh, facial recognition has emerged since the white paper in February uh, 2020, which did not contain such a ban, uh, while uh, earlier drafts were more ambitious. Um, finally, member states requested strongly the authorization to use this technology in favor of law enforcement. And uh, that's, that is a reason why we have uh, two different rules to regulate facial uh, rec recognition. Uh, the, the first regime uh, concerned the use of real-time remote uh, biometric identification system in publicly access accessible spaces for the purpose of law enforcement. And uh, this use is in principle prohibited, uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it will be authorized by exceptions strictly necessary for three, for three specific objectives. Uh, the first one is the search for victims of crime, uh, including missing children. The second objective is a prevention uh, of a specific and imminent uh, terrorist, uh, terrorist threat. And uh, the third is the detection, location, identification of prosecution of uh, perpetrator or suspects uh, of a serious criminal offense uh, strictly listed, such as terrorism, trafficking in human beings, uh, sexual exploitation of uh, children. But in this last case, uh, 30, 32 crimes are, are listed, including uh, economic crimes, such as uh, fraud or corruption, which ultimately makes the, the exceptions broader than they appear. And uh, however, it should be noted that these exceptions are governed by safeguards and conditions in relation to the use, uh, in particular as regards the temporal, geographic and personal limitations. Moreover, uh, such use is subject to authorization by a judicial or other independent body and to uh, appropriate limits in time, geographic reach, and the databases searched. So maybe it's a compromise uh, between the, the, the law enforcement issues and uh, the, the fundamental rights. And uh, in the other cases, all remote biometric uh, identification systems are considered high risk and uh, subject to street uh, requirements. Okay, that's uh, that's interesting. So I, the, the, the notion that member states were looking for an exception, and once you start including all the various kind of crimes or uh, circumstances under which this may be permissible, admittedly, with some of the safeguards you're describing. It sounds as if we're going to see those technologies implemented in public spaces, and it's going to be more about the the safeguards, the authorizations, and the like, as opposed to simply an outright ban. Those are some of the prohibited 
uses. Uh, and there's one, of course, with the mass surveillance that that isn't quite prohibited, but there are some safeguards around it. I know that the rules also seek to establish limitations and safeguards similarly on a whole series of other AI uses, covering you know, just about everything from self-driving cars to exam scoring. AI, of course, is so prevalent now and increasingly prevalent in society. Uh, how does how do the rules seek to to establish some kind of limits or safeguards on that on that kind of almost everyday use of artificial intelligence? Uh, yes, that is a very interesting point of, point of this uh, regulation, and uh, that is uh, the most important uh, part. Uh, because um, many, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Michael, uh, many AI systems are already used and uh, could uh, could could be uh, risky and uh, could have a high risk. And uh, that is, for instance, the case with uh, crit- critical infrastructures uh, such as transport, safety components of products, employment, uh, workers' management, uh, for instance, with uh, CV sorting safety work for recruitment procedures. Uh, it could uh, also uh, concern essential private and uh, public services, uh, such as uh, credit, credit scoring, denying uh, citizens' opportunity to obtain a loan, and the law of enforcement and migration and administration, administration of justice, and uh, so on. And uh, so, because uh, this kind of use uh, could, uh, this, this kind of uh, AI systems uh, could be a high risk uh, AI system. Uh, strict uh, obligation uh, has uh, to be um, fulfilled. Uh, for instance, a risk management system should be established and uh, consist of a continuous uh, iterative process run throughout the entire life cycle of a high-risk AI system, requiring regular systematic updating uh, in order to mitigate uh, the risk. And uh, also, a high quality of the data sets uh, has to feed the system and uh, to, in order to minimize the risk and uh, discriminatory outcomes. Uh, and appropriate data governments uh, should also take uh, into account possible biases and the data sets should be relevant and representative. Uh, we can also mention that uh, technical documentation should be drawn up before that system is placed on the market and uh, be kept up to date. And this uh, detailed documentation provides all information necessary on the system and uh, its purpose for authorities to assess its compliance. Uh, We can also mention the the automatic recording of activity while the AI system is operating has to be designed and uh, to ensure trustability of results. And uh, finally, clear and adequate information to the users has to be provided as well as well as an appropriate human oversight and a high level of robustness, security, and accuracy. And uh, I think that uh, propose, the proposed minimum requirements are already uh, state of the art for many diligent uh, operators, and uh, they are also the result of two years of preparatory, preparatory work. So I think it doesn't come uh, as a surprise today. Okay, so not a, not a surprise, but uh, interesting to see the emphasis on transparency, greater disclosure, really trying to take something that I think for many has been hidden in the background. People don't really see the AI, often don't even appreciate that it's there, and trying to put it much more in the foreground so that there's there's awareness and hopefully for many a better understanding of what's taking place. Now, 
this quite clearly touches such a wide range of, of activities. I mean, as we've been talking about, everything from law enforcement on the one hand to everyday products, machinery, uh, and of course, uh, so many different day-to-day services, even where AI has come to have a role. I guess it, it begs the question: How does the commission? How does Europe propose to enforce these rules? You know, is there an oversight body? Are there penalties for failure to abide by uh, by what's being set out? Uh, yes, sure, and uh, that is an important uh, question. And uh, the commission proposes to enforce the regulation by establishing national competent authorities designated by each member state. And uh, these authorities uh, ensure the application and uh, imp- will ensure the application and uh, implementation of the regulation. Also, a new artificial intelligence board uh, would be created to contribute to the effective cooperation of the national supervisory uh, authorities. And uh, one can observe that this is exactly the same model uh, as the GDPR, and uh, that is an usual model in digital law uh, in uh, several um, topics and several fields. And uh, the penalties are very high and uh, can go, go up to 30 million of euros, or if the offender is a company, up to 6% of its total worldwide annual turnover for the preceding uh, financial year, whichever is uh, higher, in case of non-compliance with the prohibition of the uh, AI practices. Uh, Other smaller penalties uh, are stated uh, for less uh, important compliance cases. And uh, finally, uh, these uh, penalties are higher higher than uh, the GDPR uh, states uh, the, the penalties in data protection. Yeah, they are. They're very high. I was just sort of thinking to myself for a company that engages both in AI and in some of the data related issues, there's often, of course, a bit of a correlation. Uh, violating those twin set of rules could lead to handing over a sizable proportion uh, of their global revenues, uh, at least as a threat from a penalty perspective. You, know, you, you mentioned uh, data protection, and there's there quite clearly some some obvious analogies there. Certainly, one would be the the penalties that are associated with it. I'm wondering if there are similar analogies with respect to the ability to file complaints by an individual. And of course, that's been a an important part of regimes that we've seen around the world on data protection: the ability for individuals to file complaints with the relevant authority, whether a data protection commissioner or Canada a privacy commissioner. Is there a similar kind of complaints mechanism under this system? Um, I, I have to say, to say that uh, that is not the case uh, because there is no specific rights for the people to whom the systems uh, are used and uh, neither complaints uh, mechanism. And uh, this could be uh, considered as a weakness uh, of the text. Um, however, uh, we should consider the fact that uh, high-risk uh, generated by uh, AI systems are uh, analyzed in consideration of the fundamental rights protected by the, the EU Charter of uh, Fundamental Rights. And uh, also several provisions concerns the risk of uh, biases and uh, discrimination. And uh, also, of course, the victims uh, have a right to judicial uh, redress. And uh, uh, moreover, nothing uh, prevents member states from uh, from providing for a system of complaints to the national supervisory uh, authorities 
which could be set up uh, on the model of the personal data protection uh, authorities. Uh, when we consider the mission of these authorities, uh, this mission is not specify, uh, specified in the regulation, which leaves room for the member states uh, in, this, uh, in this point. Okay, so there is, there, there's nothing specific here, sort of Europe-wide, in terms of establishing that kind of complaints-based mechanism, but it's open to individual countries to do so. Uh, I was also curious about the jurisdictional limits of the rules. You know, sitting here in Canada right now, looking at what takes take what's taking place. You know, the Canadian government can, continues to focus on AI for Canada, and the the recent budget included more money to emphasize a national AI strategy uh, for those resulting Canadian companies focused on AI. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they're paying attention to the rules, but to what extent? Would European AI rules directly affect Canadian companies or any other companies uh, or organizations located outside of the EU? Uh, that is a very important question. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, of course, many, uh, many compa companies uh, uh, are very uh, focused on uh, this uh, regulation. And I, I think they're, they're, they're not very satisfied by this regulation. And uh, the territorial scope is very broad. Uh, as the regulation applies to providers uh, placing on the market or putting into service uh, AI systems in the union, irrespective of whether those providers are established within the union or in a third country. So Canadian uh, AI companies would be subject to this uh, rule, to this uh, AI regulation, uh, if they sold AI products into, into Europe. So very broad approach. I mean, again, reminiscent, I think, of the, the approach on data protection, which has clearly had a significant uh, influence globally and companies around the world pay close attention and often seek to comply with those EU rules. You know, I, I mentioned Canada a moment ago and, and taking a look at what we see in Europe and seeing the ongoing emphasis around AI in Canada can't help but think, where do we stand in Canada from an AI regulation perspective? Obviously, the government's been focused on building up our capabilities, uh, trying to develop a, a leadership position in AI. Um, where are we at in terms of some of the same kinds of rules that we've just seen introduced within Europe? Uh, that's uh, that's uh, an interest, interesting question uh, as well, and uh, I was wondering if it could uh, have an impact uh, in Canada, but uh, I don't know. Um, it is always dif difficult to import a legal model from one part of the world, world to uh, another part uh, of the world. Uh, why the legal systems are different. And uh, it is even often utopian um, at the law is a part of culture, history, context, and uh, of course, political will. And um, Canada could be influenced by Europe, but also by the United States. So one may think that Canada will not even, will not want to go as far as Europe, or will want to do it differently. For the moment, uh, the Human Center Ethical Principles, uh, for instance, in the Montreal Declaration or Toronto Declaration, and uh, also the soft law uh, as a Treasury Board Directive on the automated uh, decision-making are preferred. Um, however, as uh, Canada has invested uh, heavily in AI and uh, continues uh, to do so, it is probably time to secure the stakeholders uh, by setting clear and legal rules 
uh, as well as creating a real responsibility of the, the, the chain of uh, actors as evoked by the digital charter. In any case, we can invite the government of Canada to do so, in my opinion. Okay, so there's there's a lot of work to be done. There's been you know little little hints, I guess, of where Canada may go. But uh, to the extent to which Europe's obviously now introduced these rules, those looking for similar kinds of rules in Canada have a bit of a road ahead. Um, speaking of a road ahead, why don't, why don't we end with this? I mean, obviously, this is really fresh in Europe, and you know, people are still digesting what's been proposed and some of the implications. What's the process that lies ahead? When when might uh, we expect to see this passed? How many, how many more uh, hoops, I suppose, does this have to jump through before there's the prospect of this becoming uh, enforceable regulations? Uh, indeed, this is, a, uh, this is only the first step in a long legislative process. Uh, the European Parliament uh, will be able to debate and uh, modify the text and uh, has to, to adopt it. Uh, at the same time, or uh, just after, the Council of the European Union must uh, also uh, adopt it. And uh, it is to, to be hoped that these three bodies contributing together to the creation of uh, European law can agree on the same text. Uh, if this is not the case, uh, a compromise must be found in a trialogue between the, the European Commission, the European Parliament, and the, the Council of the EU. And uh, this trialogue uh, um, has to uh, adopt the, the same text. And uh, this process is likely to take two or three years. And uh, we can hope that it will go all the way and uh, that it will be faster than the GDPR, which took four years to be uh, adopted. And uh, finally, uh, the text will entry into force only two years after its publication on the official journal of the EU. Uh, this delay is uh, usual to allow stakeholders to organize their compliance. So we can see that this text is not for tomorrow, but it's still a significant step forward for the legal and not only ethical framework, framework of AI in Europe. Okay, so uh, a long a long road ahead when it comes to this, both in terms of getting it uh, passed through the various chambers and then even after that, uh, a significant period of time before it actually gets implemented. But as you suggest, um, given that this is the really the first of its kind, uh, I think in some ways marks a, a real turning point for AI regulation on a global level. And one would imagine that other countries are paying close attention, and this is the very be this is feels like the beginning of a of a, a long global debate around AI regulation. Um, and so it's so important to, to I think to be paying attention. Celine, thank you so much for for walking us through where things are at right now and and what lies ahead. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Michael. My pleasure. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca.
I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.